Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Books podcast. I'm Sean Kane. A few months ago, I was at a poetry event and I saw Jericho Brown perform for the first time. He's a really charismatic, chatty guy, as you're about to hear, but his delivery is something else powerful, forceful, quiet, looking at questions of race, sexuality, and masculinity as a black gay man in America. This is a podcast, so you won't be able to see him perform as well, but he has this swagger that he adopts as he reads, which is absolutely captivating. Born and raised in Louisiana, Brown once worked as a speechwriter for the mayor of New Orleans before gathering momentum as a poet. In the States, he's published two collections, Please and The New Testament. With the latter just out in the UK for the first time, I started by asking him, is performing something that comes naturally? You know, I don't think about it. I mean, I must naturally be some sort of a performer. I grew up in a very performative black church yeah. as a child. And so I think, I think when I was a kid growing up, seeing the choir, seeing the preacher, seeing the ways in which people uh, gesticulated, I think that's sort of just a part of who I am. Mm. Um, it's a part of my culture, and it it's a part of of how I move in the world that I don't think of as performing because everyone that I knew growing up spoke that way or talked that way. Uh, when it was time to read a passage out loud, you didn't read that passage in your same speaking voice. You read it as if it was a passage you were reading out loud. Mm. So maybe it is a love of performance, but I, for me it's quite, perform always seems like, you know, something unnatural. Yeah. And yet for me it's quite natural. Well, it, it does come across as quite natural. It comes yeah. across as something that you watch you delivering a poem and you go, yeah. this is a man that was kind of yeah. born to do this in a yeah, weird way. Yeah. Well, you know what I love mm. about giving a poetry reading? It's the only opportunity that I have where I feel reconnected to the experience I once had when I first wrote the poem. And that's an experience, you know, when you're a poet in the midst of writing the poem, nothing is better than that. As soon as you finish a poem, as soon as you know, oh, I've put that dash or that period in the right place and now this poem is done and right then it's over mm. and you're heartbroken. <laughs> Is that a sad process? It's Yes. I mean, it's, it's really hard, particularly I think when you're a poet, because when you finish a poem, you always wonder if there's going to be another one. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> You've been working on this like 10 line thing for three years. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And you're like, wait, is that going to happen to me again? Yeah. You know? And so I think that's part of what happens when you're a poet. But I also think that 
when you're in the midst of it, there's nothing like it. And so when you're reading, the only way I can possibly read my poems in front of an audience without being completely nervous is to think about that. Mm-hmm. Where was I and what was it like when I was writing this poem? What were those pleasures of those sounds? Um, what did I get out of breaking the line in this moment? What did I feel when I found this particular rhyme? That's really what I'm going through. Much more than I think of myself as performing, I'm really just remembering. And those memories come back to me in the middle of reading the poem, and I think they help to lend to what others see as a performance. But if it was just me reading to an audience and not thinking about that, I would probably hyperventilate. <laughs> it's because I can't imagine, even just thinking about it, I can't imagine it. Really? Oh, it's horrendous. I think poetry readings are the hardest things that we have to do. I mean, I do think we have to do them. Yeah. And I do think poems are meant to be heard. And yet, I think it is the scare. It is one of the scariest things I've ever done. I mean, it's so funny because, I mean, this book is called The New Testament. And this is your first book here in the UK, but yeah. it, it came out a few years ago in yes. America. And you had yeah. a previous collection called Please, yes. uh, which was about 10 years ago. Yeah. So it's weird to introduce you as sort of like a debut because you're yeah. clearly so established, yeah. but you're sort of new to maybe some British listeners um, here. Yeah. Um, and it was so funny because I was reading this collection and I remembered seeing you perform these poems, a few of them, and I was also listening to a podcast where you were speaking. Mm-hmm. And the combination of hearing your voice in my ears and having this little sort of slim book in my hands, yeah. it did almost evoke going back to church yeah. and being given that prayer book and sort of following yeah. a, a syllable behind everyone else as you're trying to keep up with yeah. with a priest or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And there's such That's a sense of transcendence. And I mean, it, religion is a real theme in, in this collection. And you mentioned the church before. I think maybe let's let's start with a poem because I've been bigging up your performance skills. <laughs> um, yeah. There's this, this poem called Psalm 150. Yeah. Just to give everyone a sense of um, the themes that you touch on. And I'll read that. Psalm 150. Some folks fool themselves into believing, but I know what I know. Once at the height of hopeless touching, my man and I hold our breaths, certain we can stop time or maybe eliminate it from our lives, which are shorter since we learn to make love for each other rather than doing it to each other. As for praise and worship, I prefer the latter. Only memory makes us kneel, silent and still. Hear me? Thunder scares. Lightning lets us see. Then, heads covered, we wait for rain. Dear Lord, let me watch for his arrival and hang my head and shake it like a man who's lost and lived. Something keeps trying, but I'm not killed yet. I think that poem is such a, a great indication of just some of the things that you touch on in this book because there's a lot of maleness in there. There's, mm-hmm. um, I mean, there's touches on your sexuality as, as a gay man, but also this language of religion that comes through mm-hmm. a lot of the poems as well. Mm-hmm. I actually once heard you describe poetry as almost like the process of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Could you sort of explain that? Well, you know, prayer is really, I mean, like poetry when we are writing poetry. Prayer, we like to think of as the opportunity to ask for things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but in actuality, uh, if we really think about what prayer is, it has to do with 
going to a place where we end up having a conversation with our higher self, right? Um, we're talking with the biggest part of us. We're talking with the all of us. That includes the best of us, right? The best of one's self. Um, and we're saying to that oneself, make yourself known in my life <laughs> right now because I, I know you're there, mm. but I don't see you. And I think poets are doing a similar thing because we're casting onto the page, trying to create entire worlds that we somehow know are there, but we don't see them. Mm -hmm. And we want to make them real. Uh, and I'm always amazed that poets will write an image and yeah. that people can see what we write in their heads. That's fascinating to me that you, you put the word boat on a sheet of paper <laughs> and people literally, now each of us has his or her own boat. Like mm -hmm. the boat I see might be different from the boat you saw, but we both saw a boat. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what prayer is about. It's about being visionary, envisioning something. And that's what artists do. That's what poets do. And poets are closest to prayer because we're doing it with words. We're trying to find the exact word to create the world that we're trying to create on the page. Um, and there's a lot to be said for that, for poets themselves. But I think there's a lot to be said for that in terms of how we live our lives. Mm -hmm. I and mean, you really don't make it through a day without a plan, without imagining I'm going to actually get to the end of this day and I won't have killed my boss. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? Like I'm going to actually get through this day and I won't have cussed out my kids. Do, do, you, under, do yeah. you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. This is, everything's going to be okay. I'm going to go into this meeting. It's going to be nice. I'm going to get through this presentation and I'm going to go afterward and have a coffee. But that's the kind of thing that we're always sort of, telling ourselves we're trying to make our day happen mm -hmm. and I think the poets are, poets are doing that on a scale where we're trying to reinvent the world we want to make the world plain make it clear show it as it should be and so in that way we're sort of encapsulating all of human experience in our pages yeah. or at least that's what what I'm trying to do what do you think that it is that differs say a poet from say a musician or an artist or a novelist attempting to you know tell their reader or yeah. their listener their audience about something about themselves in the world is it the succinctness that's required for poetry is it all that thought that goes into that word choice that somehow delivers a, a sort of a punchier message yeah, I think, I think all of those things are necessary, but I, I think the way poets think is not like the way other artists think. Poets hear a sound in language, and much more than they can see what that language says in that moment, they're interested in the sound and why they are attracted to that sound. So when I'm writing a poem, I write a line because I'm attracted to that line. Me knowing what that line says or means actually comes secondary. I mean, eventually I've got to know because I'm going to have to revise my poem. But in the moment of the first draft, I'm writing in order to make rhymes happen or make metaphors happen. And because I'm interested in the sounds of things and because I instinctually believe that they go together, and then as I revise, I revise toward what some people might think of as a certain kind of narrative or chronological sense. Whereas I think 
in other arts, representation might come first. But I think poets are actually thinking about putting things down on a page that might not make sense at first and then figuring from that, if I wrote this sentence, if I wrote this line, and this line has meaning, why can't I figure out what that meaning is on a subconscious level, right? So um, there's a, a line in that famous Gwendolyn Brooks poem, We Real Cool, she gets to where she says, we jazz June. What does that mean? <laughs> we real cool, we left school. Y'all know this poem. She's, but suddenly she says, we jazz June. <laughs> and this actually does not, I cannot, you can't pin that down. And contextually, it somehow makes all the sense in the world, right? And the poem doesn't work unless she says it. We real cool, the pool players, seven at the golden shovel. We real cool, we left school, we lurk late, we strike straight, we sing sin, we thin gin, we jazz June, we die soon. And I think those are the moments that poets are most interested in. We're most interested in these combinations of words that have great meaning and yet cannot be pinned down. Uh, and that's what we turn over, over and over again. Uh, in that poem by William Carlos Williams, Don Sarus, I am lonely, I am lonely, I am best so. Mm. It's not that he didn't know how to write I am alone, <laughs> right? Yeah. I am lonely, I am lonely, I am best so. That gives us something to talk about. Mm. That's what makes it a poem. It gives us something to think about. We have a, a new look at language that we did not have before. And that's what, that's what I'm interested in. And I don't know that musicians have that. I don't know because I'm not a musician. I don't know because I'm not a painter. But I don't know if they're looking at the world in that same way, that, the, that we're going to find out. We'll put it down and we'll figure it out in the revision. We'll figure it out in the reading. We'll learn. We'll see what it tells us as opposed to us telling it. We mentioned the church before and the language in this book is often draws the mind back to religion and religious imagery. Would you mind just talking a little bit about your relationship with the church? Because um, you grew up in a family and your parents were evangelical. Yeah, my parents were very religious, which isn't strange in the American South for black people. At least uh, we grew up going to church every Sunday and every Wednesday night. Mm. And, you know, if a revival was going on, that was every night of the week. Uh, we traveled with our pastor, who would go to other churches and preach, and we would sing in the the choir that would go from church to church with him. My sister was an usher. I sang in the choir. My mother sang in the choir. My father's uh, to this day on the deacon board. So we were very active mm. in the church. People don't uh, people who are not active in the church don't understand that one of the reasons why the church seems odd church people seem odd to those who are not church people is that church people have everything that the world has sort of built up on its own terms, right? So, you know, if your church is big enough, you could have a baseball team, you have a debate team, you have a quiz bowl, you have all of these auxiliaries that create this opportunity for you to be completely isolated. You don't really have to deal with anyone from any other part of the world mm -hmm. other than turning on your television, right? Because every activity that you would do, if you want to go to swim, you go to the church swim team. All of the churches have a swim team, then you go to the church swim meet. Do you, do you wow. understand what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, and so that's sort of the life that I that I was growing up in. And uh, of course, that life included knowing scripture to a T, uh, being able to recite. I remember uh, being required to recite the books of the Bible in order. And I remember some kids who could do it backwards would get a special treat. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. those, that's, that's how I grew up. But then, you know, life takes its turns and its tolls. And what religion required of me growing up, um, I understood I would not be able to be a part of <laughs> as an adult. I wasn't going to be able to, to, to live my life, to be in love, to um, think freely about people, about peoples, about women, um, about all kinds of things. I wasn't going to have any sense about people other than myself as whole entire people if I continued to believe in God in the way that God was taught to me as I was growing up. And so I spent a lot of years away from the church and, and trying not to think about any kind of God at all. And then I got sick. You know, when you get sick, whether you believe in God or not, one of the first things you say is, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, if you're really afraid for your life, if you're ill, you suddenly feel the strong need to pray. And I found myself in that period of my life, if I was like mowing my lawn or washing dishes or doing anything like that, I would think of these Bible scriptures that I knew when I was growing up. And I would go back, I got in the habit of going back and checking to see if I was right. Like, is this really 1 Corinthians 13, 11, or am I remembering <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 11 wrong? And, and it became a poetic project. I would write these scriptures down, and given what little or what, what, whatever I remembered of them, I would use that to sort of riff off line after line until I came to something, honestly, that made me feel more alive, more whole, and less ill mm. than what I felt. And I might have still been in physical pain, but somehow writing these poems, I felt like I was in less soul pain. And what I was doing, although I did not know I was doing it, I mean, I sort of came to this knowledge somewhere around like poem 40, I realized, oh, I am writing my way back into these beliefs, back into a spirituality that I needed but did not have. And then I understood that I could have spirituality without it being full of judgment, mm. without it being full of condemnation, without it being full of guilt. And once I understood that, then I could have a different kind of a relationship with a God I believe in today. So that's, sort of, that's how the book came to be. That's how these poems came to be. That's why so much of the book is political. I only, looking at the book again just yesterday, I realized how political the second section of the book is, and that's because it was very important to me to understand how am I a person who believes in God and also a person who is an active citizen in this world who gives a care about what happens to other people who don't believe in the same God I believe in, but yet I can see those people as whole, right? How do I do that? How do I become that person? And can I answer that question? Can I pose that question in a poem? And does the posing of the question allow me to come to some answer in the poem? So that's ultimately what I want from this book. 
I wanted to write a book that would let me be whole emotionally and physically, but also spiritually. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. In 2011, political activist and blogger Aya Shebi was part of a national uprising that saw the president of Tunisia resign and flee. Now she's the African Youth Coordinator at the World Peace Initiative, an international organisation that promotes peace around the world. So I was travelling around uh, the continent, uh, training youth in blogging, in mobilisation, civil resistance. And when I realised that common struggle, I started this platform uh, called Africa Youth Movement to bring all these organisers together to think about how we can accelerate change on the continental level and think beyond our countries and beyond our own uh, national struggles. Join me, Lucy Lamble, to hear more about this revolutionary's work in this week's episode of Small Changes. Well, I think it's probably a really good time to read Hustle. Oh, sure. Yeah. I will read Hustle. Now, Hustle, because I, you know, I have to, uh, I'm a poet, so I just love it. I just <laughs> love, I'm this clever. Uh, this poem <laughs> is called Hustle, and it is a huzzle. <laughs> it's a huzzle. It's a huzzle. And a huzzle is a... Um, a form that's as old as I think fifth century AD. Uh, it's one of the the earliest of our forms, uh, um, a Persian form, and you'll hear it when I read it. But there's a bit of a rhyme. There's a repeated word. The thing that's important about the hustle to remember is that each couplet is separate. Mm-hmm. So it's as if there are these. Each couplet is its own poem. So it's not a a poem of chronology or it's not a narrative poem. It's almost as if these couplets accumulate to a larger narrative that doesn't that you don't hear at first when you're reading the poems. Oh, and it's also a requirement in the huzzle that you say your name in the you last You have to say your name. You have yeah. to say your name. When you write a huzzle, you make use of your name, you sign they call it signing. You sign your name in the last couplet. So I have to make sure everybody who's listening to the podcast Here's that. So when they when I say my name, I'm not just a conceited poet. <laughs> I just wanted to follow the form. Here we go. Hustle. They lie like stones and dare not shift. Even asleep, everyone hears in prison. Dwayne Betts deserves more than this dry ink for his teenage years in prison. In the film we keep watching... Nina takes Darius to a stepper's ball. Lovers hustle 
slide and dip as if none of them has a brother in prison. I eat with humans who think any book full of black characters is about race. A book full of white characters examines insanity, but never in prison. His whole family made a barricade of their bodies at the door to room 403. He died without the man he wanted. What use is love at home or in prison? We saw police pull sharks out of the water just to watch them not breathe. A brother meets members of his family as he passes the mirrors in prison. Sundays, I washed and dried her clothes after he threw them into the yard. In the novel I love, Brownfield kills his wife, gets only seven years in prison. I don't want to point my own sinful finger, so let's use your clean one instead. Some bright citizen reading this never considered a son's short hair in prison. In our house lived three men with one name, and all three fought or ran. I left Nelson Dimery III for Jericho Brown, a name I earned in prison. So in the last line of the hustle, mm-hmm. you have you mentioned two names. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jericho Brown is a name that you've sort of adopted as your mm-hmm. as your. Well, I suppose you use it in your your everyday life, mm-hmm. but it was a name that you adopted, and it is a name that has been used in your family before because you share a name with your father. That's yeah, right. yeah. My dad's name is Nelson Demery Jr. My grandfather was Nelson Demery the first, mm. uh, Nelson Demery Senior, I should say. And um, I was Nelson Demery the third for a very long time, and then I started writing poems. And when I first had the opportunity to see poems in print, they had the name Nelson Demery on them. And I remember feeling like they weren't completely mine. And I couldn't be happy. Isn't that strange? Yeah. I felt like, why do I have to share my poems with my dad and my granddad? I want my poems to be mine. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and maybe that was sort of immature child. I don't know if I would make that decision today, but it was a decision that I made where I... I really did want to change my name, but then I didn't do it for a long time. And I was still publishing poems under Nelson Dimery. Um, And then I had this dream where it turned out that I used the name Jericho in the dream. And after that, I was pretty sold. Like, I was like, oh, that's what I'll do. This is my name. I'll be Jericho. (laughs) So it worked out, yeah. I've been Jericho Brown since 2002. And it's very interesting. To have two names in this world. Does it influence? Do you almost feel it? Is it like a separate persona or a separate writer at all, Jericho Brown, as opposed to Nelson? I don't think about it that way, no. I don't, I mean, I don't think, you know, I don't have conversations with Nelson and Nelson <laughs> talk back to Jericho. No, nothing like that happens. It's not like Beyonce and Sasha Fierce or anything. Do you know? <laughs> Although I wish it was. I was about to say, that's great. I wish I could be Beyonce and Sasha Fierce. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Um, it's really, it's really a situation where I forget that my name, I have forgotten in many ways that my name is Nelson unless I'm, when I'm talking to people that I went to college with or high school with for whatever reason, I went to a reunion where everybody was calling me Nelson. And when I first got there, because f- people were like behind me saying Nelson, Nelson. And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. I mean, it's one of those things that, you, that a lot of these poems feel so personal. And it kind of feels like 
there's there's a lot of you on the page yeah. and a lot of your a lot of your childhood but also a lot of your um you know your worries and yeah. you know, references to dreams and hopes yeah. and yeah. that sort of thing it's amazing though because a lot of the poems are really solemn and mm-hmm. some of them they do have that sort of religious element to them that gives them that sort of seriousness mm-hmm. but then there's so many funny and quite it, it sounds really strange to say this but there's like little elements of sexiness and mm-hmm. desire in there as well mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um and so the other poem that i wanted you to read is the rest we deserve yeah, I'll read just it because you. it was such a nice little picture of what maybe we might imagine as like a day for you mm-hmm. you know oh, you know starting yeah. your day yeah. um and it, it just, there's a little element of humor in there but also maybe a very relatable exasperation that you might yeah, have yeah, with it with yeah. a neighbor <laughs> that's interesting okay i'll read it that's interesting okay the rest we deserve our walls are thin and the man who won't say hello back to me in the morning as we lock ourselves out of our homes won't even nod my way as black men do when they see themselves in you sings precious precious the only song he must know to the newborn other neighbors tell me is all he has left of a woman who died went to rehab or left him for another depending on the fool telling the story and the time of day it gets told i don't know why it bothers me i don't need him to love me the way he loves that child pacing an apartment I imagine looks just like mine with a baby in his arms none of us allowed the rest we deserve him awful and off key her is it a she shrill as any abandoned animal should be I want to hurt him and I want to help I think of knocking to say he doesn't have to be polite to me but he should try stuffing the kid in a drawer and closing it or knocking to show him the magic made when you sit an infant in a car seat on top of a washer while you do a little late night laundry why do i think he owes me that all the words to jackie moore's one hit make him mine enough not to mind some man he sees me kiss goodbye while he rolls his eyes a baby strapped to his chest a tie around his neck and me yawning because somebody wouldn't let me sleep everyone wishing any voice in this building could sing for the thing growing in the smallest of us when we open our mouths at odd hours to shriek there's that poem <laughs> do you know this song the song no i don't actually so jackie moore has a song called precious precious it's really a beautiful song but it's also the most desperate thing at some point she says the the chorus is Precious, 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 precious baby, you're mine. Uh, but um, at some point in the song, she says, "I, I'm still satisfied in love with you. Yeah, I'll be waiting around till you get through." Mm. Isn't that something? Isn't that the sad? Look at your face. Oh, you're very sad. Good. She means that. Isn't that something? Yeah. Um, so Is that's it one of those song. songs that like people sing to babies because it's got the word baby in it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. really interesting. Like it's this song where it's like you think, oh, you sing precious, precious because that's something you would say to a baby, and yet yeah. it's this very sad love song. It's this very sad love song about this woman who's decided 
that if this man wants to mistreat her, it's fine as long as she gets some amount of time with mm-hmm. him. Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's, so it's it's an interesting choice, I think, in the in the poem um, that this this man who's without this kid's mother and this kid who's without her mother, he's singing that to the kid. Isn't and, that I mean, it's like such a vivid little picture of a life, and I was wondering, does did that day ever happen? Was that something? No, that was days on? like that happen. Things happen where, you know, when you're when you have things in common with people, and they're not nice to you, you don't understand why not. Yeah, you, you're sort of weirded out by it, or at least I am, right? You know, when I when I meet people in Atlanta and I find out we went to the same college and we're from the same hometown, and they're not trying to be my best friend, <laughs> I'm so confused and I'm so hurt, <laughs> and I think, oh, they hate me for some reason. Do you know what I mean? So I yeah. think. Um, I think that's part of what the poem is about mm. uh, and part of the experience that it draws on, uh, how we'll have things in common. Uh, you're singing Precious, Precious, and that's a song I know, but that's like a, a pretty unknown blues song. It's not a song everyone knows, so already we have something in common. Mm. We can talk about old blues music. You could be my best friend. Do you know, yeah. you know what I mean? This is sort of how I think about life, which explains all of my heartbreak. Um, um, or even the proximity, I think, in the poem, right? Mm. That we're so close to each other but have very little relationship with each other. Mm. And often because of lives that we imagine you know the speaker of that poem is imagining his life but he doesn't know Mm. and nobody in the neighborhood really knows they're all making it up just as the speaker is thinking oh he's imagined something about my life he's made some decision about me but he doesn't really know because we haven't had the conversation yeah and I think that poem is really just about not having the conversation with somebody that you're around all the time that that it's really hard there's these Human connections all there, ready to be made, and for whatever reason, we won't take the step to make them. It's almost like it makes me think of what you were saying before about poetry taking you to sort of a conversation with your higher self, yeah, and just going maybe talk to your neighbor once in a yeah. while, just check yes. in. You know? Yes, yes, and that, and that you can't write a successful poem knowing that you're going to do that, mm. but that the poem could indeed do that. The poem might change your relationship or the way you think about what a neighbor is mm. and the way you think about who your neighbors are or the way you envision, what do I really know about my neighbors and what do they really know about me? Poems can do that, but they probably won't do that if you set out to do that. <laughs> do you know what I don't mean? Don't try too hard. Because if you're writing your soul, you don't think about that. You think, oh, let me get this experience as it is down on the page. Let me make use of music. Let me make use of metaphor. Let me make use of the best words I've got. And then from that, you come up with this narrative that people may or may not learn something concrete from. That was Jericho Brown, and the New Testament is out in the US with Copper Canyon Press and now in the UK with Picador. Next week, Matt Haig on Notes on a Nervous Planet. What if we can stop this crazy planet from messing with our minds? He has some useful ideas. And Christina Dolcher balances our newfound optimism out by adding to the mind messing with her terrifying new dystopian novel, Vox, set in an America where women are only allowed to speak 100 words a day. In the meantime, please subscribe and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. And join the discussion on Twitter or by leaving a comment on the podcast page. As always, if you prefer to contact us directly, you can email us at bookspodcast at theguardian.com. But for now, from me, Sean Kane, and our producer, Susanna Trezillian, 
Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Oh, and a man who would suffer terribly in the word-limited world of Vox. Here's a final word from Jericho. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody who listens to this podcast. Isn't it great? It's such a lovely podcast. Oh, I forgot to say something I was supposed to say. I don't know where you're going to put it, but you have to put this thing that's very important today before I came here. Mm. I was teaching at the poetry school, and I just want to mention the poetry school. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here on this podcast, because I know the people listening either know about it and are rooting for it just upon hearing it yeah or they don't know about it and they should go look it up and they should find it yeah um and they should go take a class there yeah. it's a wonderful place so this is the poetry school the poetry in, school. in london in london yeah yes cool everyone go find it yeah <laughs> okay i did what i was supposed to do <laughs> good i hit the pain. <laughs>